Chapter 48 and 49 of Beasts, Men, and Gods. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Beasts, Men, and Gods by Ferdinand Ossendowski. Chapter 48 Reality or Religious Fantasy? Has anybody seen the King of the World? I asked. Oh, yes! answered the lama. During the solemn holidays of the ancient Buddhism in Siam and India, the king of the world appeared five times. He rode in a splendid car drawn by white elephants, and ornamented with gold, precious stones, and finest fabrics. He was robed in a white mantle and red tiara, with strings of diamonds masking his face. He blessed the people with a golden apple, with the figure of a lamb above it. The blind received their sight, the dumb spoke, the deaf heard, the crippled freely moved, and the dead arose, wherever the eyes of the king of the world rested. He also appeared five hundred and forty years ago in Erdenitsu. He was in the ancient Sakai monastery, and in the Narabanshikure. One of our living Buddhas and one of the Tashi Lamas received a message from him, written with unknown signs on golden tablets. No one could read these signs. The Tashi Lama entered the temple, placed the golden tablet on his head, and began to pray. With this the thoughts of the king of the world penetrated his brain, and, without having read the enigmatical signs, he understood and accomplished the message of the king. How many persons have ever been to a Garti? I questioned him. Very many, answered the Lama. But all these people have kept secret that which they saw there. When the Olets destroyed Lhasa, one of their detachments in the southwestern mountains penetrated to the outskirts of a Garti. Here they learned some of the lesser mysterious sciences and brought them to the surface of our earth. This is why the Olets and Kalmuks are artful sorcerers and prophets. Also from the eastern country some tribes of black people penetrated to Agarti, and lived there many centuries. Afterwards they were thrust out from the kingdom and returned to the earth, bringing with them the mystery of predictions according to cards, grasses, and the lines of the palm. They are the gypsies." Somewhere in the north of Asia a tribe exists which is now dying, and which came from the cave of Agarti, skilled in calling back the spirits of the dead as they float through the air. The Lama was silent, and afterwards, as though answering my thoughts, continued. In Agarti, the learned Panditas write on tablets of stone all the science of our planet and of the other worlds. The Chinese learned Buddhists know this. Their science is the highest and purest. Every century one hundred sages of China collect in a secret place on the shores of the sea, where from its depths come out one hundred eternally living tortoises. On their shells the Chinese write all the developments of the divine science of the century. As I write, I am involuntarily reminded of a tale of an old Chinese bonze in the Temple of Heaven at Peking. He told me that tortoises live more than three thousand years without food and air, 
and that this is the reason why all the columns of the blue temple of heaven were set on live tortoises to preserve the wood from decay. Several times the pontiffs of Lhasa and Urga have sent envoys to the king of the world, said the Lama librarian, but they could not find him. Only a certain Tibetan leader, after a battle with the Olets, found the cave with the inscription, This is the gate to Agarti. From the cave a fine-appearing man came forth, presented him with a gold tablet bearing the mysterious signs, and said, The king of the world will appear before all people when the time shall have arrived for him to lead all the good people of the world against all the bad but this time has not yet come. The most evil among mankind have not yet been born. Chiang Chun Baron Ungern sent the young prince Punsig to seek out the king of the world, but he returned with a letter from the Dalai Lama from Lhasa. When the baron sent him a second time, he did not come back. End of chapter Chapter 49, the final chapter. The Prophecy of the King of the World in 1890. The Hutuktu of Narabanchi related the following to me, when I visited him in his monastery in the beginning of 1921. When the King of the World appeared before the Lamas, favoured of God, in this monastery thirty years ago, he made a prophecy for the coming half-century. It was as follows. More and more the people will forget their souls and care about their bodies. The greatest sin and corruption will reign on the earth. People will become as ferocious animals, thirsting for the blood and death of their brothers. The crescent will grow dim, and its followers will descend into beggary and ceaseless war. Its conquerors will be stricken by the sun, but will not progress upward and twice they will be visited with the heaviest misfortune, which will end in insult before the eye of the other peoples. The crowns of kings, great and small, will fall. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There will be a terrible battle among all the peoples. The seas will become red. The earth and the bottom of the seas will be strewn with bones. Kingdoms will be scattered. Whole peoples will die. Hunger, disease, crimes unknown to the law, never before seen in the world. The enemies of God and of the divine spirit in man will come. Those who take the hand of another shall also perish. The forgotten and pursued shall rise and hold the attention of the whole world. There will be fogs and storms. Bare mountains shall suddenly be covered with forests. Earthquakes will come. Millions will change the fetters of slavery and humiliation for hunger, disease, and death. The ancient roads will be covered with crowds wandering from one place to another. The greatest and most beautiful cities shall perish in fire. One, two, three. Father shall rise against son, brother against brother, and mother against daughter. Vice, crime, and the destruction of body and soul shall follow. Families shall be scattered. Truth and love shall disappear. From ten thousand men one shall remain. 
he shall be nude and mad and without force and the knowledge to build him a house and find his food. He will howl as the raging wolf, devour dead bodies, bite his own flesh and challenge God to fight. All the earth will be emptied. God will turn away from it, and over it there will be only night and death. Then I shall send a people, now unknown, which shall tear out the weeds of madness and vice with a strong hand, and will lead those who still remain faithful to the spirit of man in the fight against evil. They will found a new life on the earth, purified by the death of nations. In the fiftieth year only three great kingdoms will appear, which will exist happily seventy-one years. Afterwards there will be eighteen years of war and destruction. Then the peoples of Agarti will come up from their subterranean caverns to the surface of the earth. Afterwards, as I travelled farther through eastern Mongolia and to Peking, I often thought, and what if, what if whole peoples of different colours, faiths, and tribes should begin their migration toward the west? And now, as I write these final lines, my eyes involuntarily turn to this limitless heart of Asia, over which the trails of my wanderings twine. Through whirling snow and driving clouds of sand of the Gobi, they travel back to the face of the Narabanchi Hutuktu as, with quiet voice and a slender hand pointing to the horizon, he opened to me the doors of his innermost thoughts. Near Karakoam, and on the shores of Absanor, I see the huge multicolored camps, the herds of horses and cattle, and the blue yurtas of the leaders. Above them I see the old banners of Genghis Khan, of the kings of Tibet, Siam, Afghanistan, and of Indian princes, the sacred signs of all the Lamaite pontiffs, the coats of arms of the Khans of the Olets, and the simple signs of the North Mongolian tribes. I do not hear the noise of the animated crowd. The singers do not sing the mournful songs of mountain, plain, and desert. The young riders are not delighting themselves with the races on their fleet steeds. There are innumerable crowds of old men, women, and children, and beyond in the north and west, as far as the eye can reach, the sky is red as a flame. There is the roar and crackling of fire, and the ferocious sound of battle. Who is leading these warriors, who there beneath the reddened sky are shedding their own and others' blood? Who is leading these crowds of unarmed old men and women? I see severe order, deep religious understanding of purposes, patience and tenacity, a new great migration of peoples, the last march of the Mongols. Karma may have opened a new page of history, and what if the king of the world be with them? But this greatest mystery of mysteries keeps its own deep silence. End of chapter. End of book. Thank you for listening.